0: Oh, wow. Thank you, John. That was so kind. Um, Now I feel like I better say something important. (laughs) No, I am so excited. Good morning, church. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Um, And I'm so excited to be a part of this sermon series, This Is Me. As you know, for the last several speakers, uh, our assignment has been to choose a text that has been spiritually formative for us in our lives, and then to bring a message uh, from that place. So my text today is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. First of all, I just have to say Ephesians is one of my favorite books uh, in all of the Bible, but I chose this text because God used it in a powerful way to clarify his calling in my life into vocational ministry. I'm so pleased that Amy shared her story today. And I'm gonna share with you just a little bit of mine to hear another slant or another idea in how God can call folks. Now, I was in middle school, when I was in middle school, I felt God nudging me toward this idea of ministry vocational ministry how many of you guys are in middle school anybody yeah quite a few I was your age I felt the spirit nudging but it wasn't clear I didn't know quite what that meant of course I didn't man president of the United States that just that never would have would have crossed my mind I felt the spirit nudging me but I wasn't quite sure what that would look like. Yet even with lack of clarity, I already knew that I enjoyed God's word, I enjoyed talking about God's word, and I had some kind of joy in talking about that and helping people know God better and love him. Even as a kid. Uh, I'll give you an example of something in my church growing up. The senior adult department at my church would invite kids to come in to the opening assembly of their Sunday school department. Anybody remember those opening assemblies, Sunday school apartments? Yeah, us oldies in the room. They would invite kids to come in to their department and give the opening devotional. It was about a five-minute devotional. What were they thinking? I'm sure that I didn't provide any profound content in those moments, and yet I blessed them because those dear folks nurtured me and gave me the opportunity to explore and to discover my gifts. A few years later, during my sophomore year in college, I very distinctly remember the moment when God gave me my lifelong job description. I was in my dorm room reading Ephesians 4. You know, one of those rooms where your bed and your bookcase and your desk are all the same piece of furniture. (laughs) Uh, I I was sitting in there. And when I got to verse 11, it was as if a light literally came on and shone down on the page and highlighted it for me. Now it's difficult to describe those kinds of experiences, but just suffice it to say that the spirit got my attention. And in the old NIV translation, it read, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. And those two words really grabbed my attention pastors and teachers, for what purpose? To prepare God's people for works of service. This was me. I knew it, deep down in my soul, that I wanted to spend the rest of my life doing this. Somehow equipping God's people. Well, it's been a few years since I was a sophomore in college. Nope, I'm not going to tell you how many. <laughs> but this is still me. Whether it has been through being on church staff or teaching seminary students or being a, a soul companion for pastors and for nonprofit leaders, which is such a joy right now, I see that God has been faithful and gracious to give me a part in equipping the saints. I share my story and I know Amy shares her story because we want to be an encouragement to other women, to other girls in our church family who might be feeling the Spirit's nudge. And I want to say thank you, Valley Ranch Baptist Church. Thank you for being a church family where everyone's gifts are nurtured and encouraged and valued. I love this church, and in this particular season, I believe God wants to do something transformative, is doing something transformative in the life of our church. I sense it in many ways, but like these conversations we've had out in the lobby uh, the last couple of months, I've really seen and sensed the transformative work of the Spirit in us. I believe this season is an opportunity for a growth spurt. I believe this season is an opportunity for us to live into our calling like never before. So let's hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter four. As a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now I'm gonna move on for the sake of time, move down to verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. No, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. May God bless the reading of his word. So Paul begins here in chapter four with what I believe you could say is a thesis sentence. Any of you guys remember that from English class? Yeah, a thesis sentence a theme that he's really going to unpack for the rest of the letter. He writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, it's the idea of I beg you, I strongly implore you, to do what? To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So what is the calling? I know I just told you my story about God using verses 11 to clarify my vocational calling, but this is not the kind of calling Paul is talking about in verse 1. No, this calling is for all of us. This calling is for the whole church. This calling is for all followers of Jesus. Now, Paul has just spent the previous three chapters painting and describing what this calling is, But let me just summarize it simply, all right? Our calling is to be Jesus people, to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. Can you say that last line with me? Or or, yeah, be Jesus, be Jesus people, live like Jesus and love like Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't just die to get us into heaven, although heaven will be great. No, the gospel was meant to get heaven into us, that we would become Jesus' people, that we become more and more Christ ones. And by the way, this call is not an individual sport. We need one another. Out there on the wall over our door, we have our mission statement. I bet many of you could say it with me. And it's to invite diverse and disconnected people to passionately follow Jesus together. This is a y'all passage. Paul is saying, you all, Ephesians, you all, Valley ranchers, live worthily, live consistently, live like you really are, Jesus people. That is our calling. So our next question, the next question is, so how do we do it? I didn't put that on your note page, but you could write that in. How do we do it? Because that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the time. I'm gonna zoom in on four things that I think uh, are worth, I wanted to emphasize or bring up today. There's many more that we could talk about. But how do we live worthy of our calling? I wanna talk about with humility, with unity, with diversity, and toward maturity. All right, so we better get going. Paul, in verse 2, look at verse 2, says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul starts right off the bat in describing how we live worthily. He starts right off by saying it has to do with how we treat one another. Let's start there. As far as living worthily of our calling. Remember, Paul is writing to regular people just like you and me when he's writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to people who are not perfect, who are struggling, trying to get their arms around this idea of what in the world does it mean to be Jesus' people? What does it mean to be the church? But Paul goes straight to the point here and I'm just gonna use the lanude amplified version. Is that okay? Being Jesus people means kicking our self-centeredness to the curb. Maybe you missed it. It was just three words. But Paul says, be completely humble. It literally means lowliness of mind as opposed to haughtiness or arrogance of mind. Humility is the opposite of self-centeredness. By the way, our pastor John preached a wonderful sermon on humility a couple of months ago. Um, So I would give a tag to that. Go back and listen there. More on humility. Humility kicking our self-centeredness to the curb. After all, Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must what? Deny themselves and follow me. Paul said in another letter to another church, to the Philippians in chapter two, he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others Above yourselves. Dallas Willard is one of my favorite authors. And my grow group peeps are giggling right now because they can't believe I've restrained myself so long to not quote him until now. But hear what he says about humility. He says, the gospel is presented today with very little connection to the complete surrender of our lives to God. Thus, we miss the central necessity of dying to self. Humility is the beautiful condition of people who have learned to surrender their desires, their glory, their power. It is an essential quality for followers of Jesus. Now, why does Paul begin here, do you think? Why does he begin with the word humble? I think it's because Paul knows that self-centeredness is the greatest foe to church unity and to church maturity. Let me say that again. Self-centeredness is the greatest foe to church unity and to church maturity. It is what most often keeps us from living worthy of the call. I also believe he starts with the word humble because all of the other virtues that he lists really can't be done without kicking our self-centeredness to the curb. See if you agree, just to glance down the rest of this list. He says, be gentle, restrained strength, Action that demonstrates sensitivity to the needs of others. Be patient. Oh, we don't like to talk about patience, do we? I love the definition I came across recently. It says to be patient is to renounce the tyranny of our own agenda. Did you hear that? To be patient is to renounce the tyranny of our own agenda. I need to remember that when I'm out on 635. (laughs) And bearing with one another. Did you know the literal translation in there? I kid you not. The Greek word is put up with one another. How many of you have needed putting up with lately? Okay, maybe you don't want to raise your hand. I know I have. I know many people have to put up with me. Of course, none more than my beloved John. In fact, I could say that thanks to me, this virtue is well-developed in John's life, (laughs) his character. You're welcome. And then, John, and then Paul wraps all of these up with the phrase in love and of course it's the word agape, in agape, God's kind of love, love that is a choice, love that wills someone's absolute good. We agape because God agapes us. So to live worthy of the call is to become the kind of people who more and more naturally and joyfully and easily love. And we're gonna find that phrase in agape sprinkled all throughout this passage. But sadly, I think the failure to heed Paul's instruction here just in verse two alone explains why the church, capital C, the church, Often fails to be the church that God intends for it to be. We have some value statements out on our lobby as well, not just a mission statement, but you may have noticed on the west wall. We have value statements that we hope kind of describe who we are, but even more describe who we aspire to be. And one of those value statements out there says, Happily Third. Do you remember that one? God first, others second. Church. Let's ask the Spirit of God to continue to change us into the people who are indeed happily third. Now let's talk about unity for a minute. In verse 3, Paul gives us another instruction for how to live a life worthy of the calling. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, when he says make every effort, it's the idea of, of be eager, be zealous, invest in it, spend energy toward it. Now, it's important to say that we don't create the unity of the spirit. The spirit does that. But we are charged to keep it, to be good stewards of it. N.T. Wright says, he's one of my favorite New Testament authors, he says, mount a guard over your unity as one would set a troop of soldiers to guard a city or a treasure. You may know that VRBC's bylaws uh, assign the responsibility to our church council in partnership with our staff, of course, to quote, pray over and protect the unity of the church. But of course, our church leadership cannot do it all. We are all responsible for the unity of the spirit at Valley Ranch Baptist Church. Did you know that? We are all responsible. It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that we have to think alike. In fact, it's healthier if we don't. It doesn't mean that diversity is quashed. But here's what I think it does mean it means that we will make every effort not to let anything sinful or selfish destroy our unity destroy our relationship with one another. And then the next three verses, that beautiful litany shows us what the foundation of our unity is. It's not our own willpower, it's not not our own character, it's found in the character of God himself, the oneness of God. One spirit, one Lord, one God. One of the most powerful, real expressions of unity in the spirit that I ever witnessed was in South Sudan. I had the privilege of teaching in a tiny seminary there. This is a picture of one of the classes that I taught. You may know that South Sudan, or you may not know, has been constantly ravaged by civil war between various tribes. And as my class introduced themselves to me that day, it began to dawn on me that these young men who were introducing themselves to me were from all these warring tribes, tribes that were presently at war with one another. Yet, because of the transforming power of the gospel, These young men were worshiping together and praying together and studying God's word together and learning to understand one another better for the sole purpose of answering God's call to take the gospel to their people and beyond. One hope, one Lord, one gospel. And then here's the most humbling part of all. As I stood finally to introduce myself, I began simply by saying I bring you greetings from a sister church in Coppell, Texas, called valley ranch baptist church and before i could even finish saying the name they were all up on their feet and they were all clapping and they were all praising god because they were so encouraged that they had a sister church on the other side of the world that they had never met but with whom they felt one in christ When I think about all that these folks had to overcome to be Jesus people, the things that can ruffle my feathers are pretty insignificant. The scary thing is that in times of transition like we are in, We become especially vulnerable to disunity. And we have an enemy who you can be sure will do his level best to steal it. So church, let's ask the Spirit of God to empower us in this season to cherish and to protect the unity that the Spirit has given us that is so sweet, amen? Amen. A little bit then on diversity. Paul pivots in verse 7, and he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given, or gifts have been given, as Christ apportioned it. Every one of us given gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. To be this new society, to be this community. Of Jesus people and you know what daily weekly many of you are putting your gifts to work for the sake of the kingdom of God and it is a beautiful thing to see I don't know if you're up here on a regular basis but not just on Sunday morning but any day of the week up here in this building and of course beyond this building People are using their gifts to build up the body of Christ and to make the gospel known. We need each other. And if you are new to our fellowship, I just want to say we are eager for you to make this church body richer and stronger with your gifts that God has given you So please don't hold back, join us. Now I just wanna say a quick word about those verses I described my calling with, verses 11 and 12. Remember it said everyone's given gifts but in this particular verse Paul describes a subset of gifts about Christian leaders. Now I think it's important to say this subset of gifts are not better than any of the other gifts These gifts are not over any of the other gifts. They just have a particular purpose. Do you remember what the pastor's and teacher's purpose is? To equip God's people. Do you think of our pastors at VRBC this way? They are the equippers; we are actually the ministers that are sent out to be light and to take the love of Jesus into our spheres of influence. We are blessed, church. We have gifted pastors. Amen, thank you, I heard that. And they are passionate about their calling to equip us to live out our calling. So, We live worthy of our calling through unity and diversity. Now we have another value out on our wall that I just want to point out. Maybe you're already thinking about it. That value says different together. Unique, yet one. It's tricky. It's not easy. But it's how we live worthy of the calling. And finally, Paul says we are doing all of this toward maturity. In other words, this is how we're going to know, folks, when we are living worthy of the call. This is what it's going to begin to look like. We will begin to look more and more like Jesus. He uses several phrases in in this verse here to describe it. He says, so that the body of Christ may be built up. This implies the idea of cohesiveness or strength, giving strength to the body. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. This implies an intentional discipleship. In other words, as we literally rearrange our lives around what Jesus said and did, then we become more like him. He uses the phrase, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you remember in in our last Forward Together conversation out there in the lobby, um, we were looking at some statistics about the beliefs and practices of people in our two zip codes around here. And one of those statistics said that 60% of people in our neighborhoods, do you remember this? Don't believe that people in the church behave like Jesus. Does that break your heart? Breaks mine. We certainly can't control everyone else. But we, church family, we can make a choice that that will not be true of us as we are out in our community. We can ask God for the grace and the power to resemble him, to look like him, to behave like him, to treat other people like he would in our community. Paul goes on to give a negative description. He says, then we'll no longer be babies. We'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth without an anchor or foundation, no longer readily basing our lives on a lie, easily deceived, no. Instead, we as Jesus people will practice the truth In love. Now, I know uh, the NIV there says we will be speaking the truth in love. But actually, uh, the word there is, it's a little hard to translate into English, but it's more comprehensive than that, than just our speech. In fact, truth in the Greek here is the verb. That's why I, this again, Lanou translation here, instead, We are truthing in agape. We are living lives founded on the truth, found in Jesus. And by the way, we're doing that in agape. And oh my goodness, we cannot separate truthing from in agape practicing the truth in love, in love. In this way, Paul says, we'll grow to become in every respect the mature body of Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament and everybody, everybody's gifts, everybody's part, then that body grows and builds itself up There's that phrase again, in love, in agape, as each part does its work. There's another value on our wall out there, I bet you're ahead of me by now, that speaks to this idea. It says, under construction, more like Jesus every day. Church, let's ask the Spirit to continue to show us, especially in this season, how to grow up into the likeness of Jesus as we live our daily lives out in our community. Our calling is to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus. I believe that this is a time when God wants to empower us and to show us how to do that like never before. So let's ask him. Let's seek his face to show us and empower us to do this. Because after all, our calling is not on hold. Would you pray with me? Father, beautiful Trinity, empower us, we pray, to be Jesus' people, to live like you, to love like you, By your grace, through your power, would you please make it so in us? In these days, we pray. Amen. Thank you.